Welcome to Live Sense 8. I'm Sheila Applegate. And I'm Zach Hansen. And a special shout out to Justin Applegate for the composition of the Live Sense 8 podcast music. In this podcast, we dive deep into the concepts of consciousness and other interesting trivia in the Netflix original series, Sense8. We're doing an episode-by-episode exploration of how we can live a Sense8 life, and we're also talking with cast and crew and team members of Sense8 to hear the experience from their perspective. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Tracy Wright, Conscious Parenting and Living Coach. She's shining clarity with compassion and understanding. You can find out more about her on consciouslyawesome.com. We also have Marisa Dranchak, Conscious Life Coach. Discover how vibrant life can be. You can find out more about Marisa at myconsciouslifecoach.com and Divine Phoenix Books. Books with a purpose for a positive change. Check out Divine Phoenix Books at divinephoenixbooks.com. In this segment, we talk about what's going on in the world of Sense8. Some exciting news, the global television demand report came out and Sense8 has ranked in the top 15 in several places. To quote the report, to the delight of the Sense8 fans, over a year after the last episode, Netflix released a two-hour long finale wrapping up loose ends for the series. The episode helped drive the series to the top 15 among all markets evaluated. It ranked as high as three in Colombia. So we know Sense8 is continuing to impact the world. We know it's continuing to be watched. Keep up your viewing. Keep sharing it with people who have not heard of Sense8 before. Let's keep this message alive for generations to come. We will be covering episode three of season two, Obligate Mutualisms. It was directed by Miss Lana Wachowski. The writing credits go to Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. The Sensates make contact with a key figure of BPO. Ripped from her personal cell, Sun sends out a plea for help. Wolfgang meets an intriguing stranger. Let's have a go. Another interesting episode. Starts out a little gentle with a big crescendo at the end. I would say so. Crescendo of consciousness, that is. (laughs) So yeah, uh, it's starting out. Will is talking to Whispers, and Whispers is trying to be the go-between with Chrome. But Will's like, we got this. And so... 
they kind of pull this uh, little hacking ninja and they send Chrome a text that talks about the name Rita, who he sent black roses to. I'm like, what is, is, is black roses romantic? Like, I don't know how I'd feel about getting black roses. <laughs> I guess that depends on your definition of romance. <laughs> I Maybe mean, they're trending. I don't know. I, I got to look into this whole black roses thing. Uh, it makes me think of when I was training someone to do readings and they were practicing on me. And they saw black roses, and they were all afraid to like bring the message forward because to them it seemed bad, right? Yeah, death, black, darkness. Right, and it was about that because it was about my twin flame who was dead. I was cool with it. He died a while ago, so I knew he was dead. <laughs> anyway, the black roses thing interested me. Well, maybe it was a symbolism of him ending their relationship. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, he sent roses to a lady named Rita, and that was personal information. Uh, who is not his wife. Who is not his wife. And they text him on his personal phone to to point out that they have access to him. So they get his attention for sure. And Whispers is all bent out of shape because they're basically saying, you're not as important as you pretend to be. And they now want to talk right to Kroom. Then there's that text, and it says Jonas, question mark. We don't really know. I mean, they meet up with Jonas in this one, but it doesn't seem like Kroom is the one who organized that. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. We don't it, know. It why. wasn't, yeah, it was really interesting because I think they wanted to, it was just weird, yeah? I thought it was interesting, yeah. Like, I don't know what happened with that. That had piqued my curiosity, I don't know. Where my imagination can take that, but <laughs> didn't get an answer. So then, after they pull this off, I hope I'm getting it chronologically right, because, um, you know, the time and space continuum isn't my favorite. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm a little bouncy. But they all go outside, right? Because now Will has been in the shadows, and mm-hmm. and he's free now to go outside and not worry about whispers and the song that's playing this is interesting it says all my days it's all my days by alex mudok so i always i don't know i just know there's always those easter eggs in here so check out and i don't know if they get to these lines in the background or not i didn't notice them i looked up the lyrics so at the end of the first verse The words are, I've been trying to find what's been in my mind as the days keep turning into nights. Well, I have been quietly standing in the shade all of my days. So, I don't know, I get butterflies. Do you hear how perfect that is about what happened with Will? His days were turned into nights because he was constantly on the drugs and he was looking for what was in his mind. Like, literally, whispers was in his mind. Yeah. It's so cool. It is cool. <laughs> I love art. I love masterful art. And that's all these brilliant minds, right? So, like, who picked that song? Was that Ethan? Was it one of the other people? Was it Lana? Did they precisely put that song there? And sometimes what I've noticed is they'll give us, in in some of the scenes, they give us, like, one verse of a song. But if you look up the song, it's the words right after that have even more meaning. 
mysteries of life. <laughs> the Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, those are like my favorite. Then they're all like relaxing and having fun. And Sun is dreaming that, right? Because Sun can get out of her cell through the cluster and their connection. And so the inmate next to her notices her being really happy in the dreams. And they have this conversation about whether she was dreaming about when she gets out. And she said yes. But really, she was out. So, And she probably wasn't dreaming. Well, it's not a dream. That's the easiest or way a, you yeah. can tell somebody who doesn't know what's going exactly. on in your head. Yeah, sure, it was a dream. <laughs> right, especially they were laying down like nighttime. But I mean, and she could have been dreaming because we can travel when we're awake or when we're asleep. Sure. But she was definitely there. I thought that was interesting. But here's the thing. You mentioned that this is the big episode where the goons <laughs> come and take son from her cell to try to kill her and then she has to call on the cluster for help and then her inmate friend helps so one of the things like in the work or we do it's about really paying attention to our beliefs and how those beliefs are defining us and so many of our beliefs are placed on us through society and stories that get told, and even entertainment. So I'm going to kind of dive in here, and it's not disrespect to the artist, because this is what we do in society. We want the ever-moving plot. But as soon as there's this release, this joy, this happiness, this freedom, it gets followed by extreme drama and violence and... Everybody has to come together again from the pain. And and really, as the show goes on, they talk about that. And they've talked about it different times that pain binds us more than anything. So it is a representation of that. But I just think we all need to check our own belief systems because waiting for the other shoe to drop is really common. And sometimes we aren't able to just enjoy life because the expectation or the belief that something traumatic is going to happen when we're in a good space maybe keeps us from surrendering into the good space although these guys all did surrender and enjoy it and then something happens immediately but I don't know I just wanted to point that out like for all of us to look at ourselves and be like can I break the belief that good times are always going to be like immediately followed by something extremely the other shoe dropping, something bad's about to happen. I think this is a very intricate subject. Yes. And firstly, we'll go with the understanding that there's duality. Mm -hmm. And if you're familiar with universal laws, we've all heard it gets worse before it gets better, right? There's a reason that is around is because... Usually, like, if you have an infection or something, it gets worse before it gets better. Or if you're trying to change your circumstances of life, things seem to get worse, or there's more pressure on you before there's a release, and that there's the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Right after, you can have this joyous day. You can have the best day ever. You're just on cloud nine. And then after that... The next day, you could be depressed. 
right? You can have this huge creative highs and then become depressed. It's because I use this term very lightly, but I'll say the nature of things, of our current human existence has to do with this duality that we all have to deal with. And so that's one part of why this is a thing and it's kind of an issue. But the other part is too, it's a TV show and we all know that people love for some reason where we love to hurt ourselves basically, (laughs) right? Is that it's supposed to be entertaining and people love the highs and the lows of things. And that's what gets people hooked into watching entertainment. That is true. As you were talking, I got to see those waves and intake even what I said a little bit further in my own mind, because really to step out of this is to not define things as good or bad or happy or sad or mm-hmm. not to try to just cling to the good. It's it's about riding that wave. So really what we might have seen was my shit and <laughs> saying, does it always have to be, you know, because if we take it one step further, that really bad in quotes incident is what freed her to get out of jail. It gets her out of prison then it turns into a good. So Mm -hmm. if we're just constantly riding the wave and showing up and being fully present in the moment, so, you know, maybe this is actually really brilliant. Imagine that because they're fully showing up in the freedom and they're all like, whoa, we get to get back to norm. I mean, that was in there, right? Like Nomi and and needs are headed out on the town. Everybody's like, yay, we get to be back to normal. Whoops, here we go again, you know. Now one of us is in crisis. So it, it's just, it's layered. Everything is layered. We do have to be careful about going through life, always reacting to the crisis. And yet, if we ride that wave of passion and the calm and the storm, like I was thinking of the book, The Storm Before the Calm with Neil Donald Walsh. And that's talking about the, you know, things can get disruptive before they get peaceful. It goes yeah, both just, ways. It's just, it's basically just a continuation. The, uni- the universal law of opposites. The opposite will always show up first before you kind of want your desired result. So, for example, if you want to meditate, you're like, man, I really need to meditate in the quiet. So the the, the things that's going to happen is you're going to sit down to meditate and the dogs are going to be barking. People are going to be on the sofa, like just everything possible for you not to be in peace and quiet is absolutely going to happen until you sit there and you work, you, you meditate through all of that and make that part of your interaction and then peace will come. So it's the law of opposites. And then we can so, get into, but, uh, yeah, and go ahead. I'm getting there because yeah. the law of opposites, ha- this is where I just came to another step in this. The law of opposites is when we take a snapshot the calm before the storm or the storm before the calm, either way we look at that, that's a single snapshot in the continuation of all. And the duality or the law of opposites only comes when we take a slice and look at a slice versus the whole. Get it? Yep, you got the microcosm and the macrocosm. Yeah, Yeah. 
anyway, so if we look at the whole scheme of this, then there isn't what we just talked about because it's just continuously a wave of nature. Well, I, I think this is also, it gets into the, this really gets into the question of who am I? Mm-hmm. And who am I means who am I in relation to the things that are happening and who am I going to choose to be as I'm going through these things because there's just a bunch of crazy ups and downs and lulls and intense moments. So uh, if you come at it at a very Buddhist Zen perspective of non-attachment, you're just going through a series of experiences that you're, you can be in the moment you can be in the desperation, you can be in the joy and the creation and not be attached to holding on to them because that prevents you from being happy. So I think that's kind of, that's wrapped up in here a little bit too. And I also think they, they as in the creators and writers, really, there's a responsibility in making entertainment. Mm-hmm. Now, this is another large topic because we can't re- be responsible for how people respond to our artwork or our message or whatever that is because of subjective reality. However, they're also saying that movies and comics and things like this really influence them and how they're growing up. So you would think as them being awesome people, you would really want to do the best possible thing for your viewer and kind of illuminate their path into moving into a better life perception, per se. So continuing on with these old stories and being so dramatic, I don't necessarily think is in the best interest of the viewer. I think it makes a great show. I think people can be um, very addicted to themselves at a very subtle level, which is another conversation about how we're actually addicted to adrenaline and dopamine within our own body as we're watching these things and going through the ups and downs, and that's what gets us hooked. It's not just the story. So anyway, I mean, this is just such a layered conversation. It really is a way to start, Sheila. Um, (laughs) It is, but I think it does come back to all of these things are true, and who are we responsible? We're responsible for ourselves. So like in this podcast, we're here to just kind of well, we use Sense8 as a backdrop to give a backdrop of our perceptions and maybe ways to look at it but we're all just there's no right or wrong it's how are you as an individual who am I and how am I going to respond to that how is it influencing my life and do I like how it's influencing my life what other aspect of this can I take that would influence in my life in a way that I like even better like that's all of Mm -hmm. life whether it's an entertainment or sitting in a park you know mixed in the scene now, when Sun does get attacked, that brought up some other things that I noticed, too, that relate to life that we talk about. And they're all there to help, but they're all in their daily lives doing their own thing, too, right? So Caffius is on the bus, and he gets tasered when she does, and he looks like he's going into convulsions or having an epileptic... Seizure. seizure. And then there's the danger of the people on the bus. Of course, Jella comes and helps out because he's got them. Kala ends up collapsing in her workplace. So everybody is responding by that that deep connection. They're picking up on it. 
if they didn't know consciously that they were connected to the cluster, and that could still happen, this is where we talk about not necessarily taking everything personal, remembering just as us human beings walking around the earth, even if you don't have a cluster in your consciousness that looks like this, moves into the whole empathic relationships. And, you know, am I feeling something that is just in the air? Like, when there's a huge natural disaster, I guess, like if there's a hurricane south of me, say, and those rains and that weather, when that air that they breathed in, in all of their fear and all of their emotions comes up days later into my air and I start breathing it, I feel it. And it may take me a couple of days to notice it. Or sometimes I'll think that I'm sick, I'll have an ailment, and then I'll talk to a friend that I hadn't talked to in a while, and she's going to the doctors for that. And as soon as I realize it's hers, I, I can let it go. But it's that confusion of what does it really mean to be we? Because whether we're consciously connected to a cluster or not, I think these things impact us. Like, I don't think anyone is not empathic. I think it's just how much we realize we are. That's my thought. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. So I just think with that, it's just a, it's just something to note in yourself too. And, and it's as soon as we make it our own, as soon as we tell it as a story of our own and we attach it to something familiar, that's when we hold on to it and it becomes ours. Right. And that's when the problems start because we get stressed and stress leads to disease and the body and all sorts of good things. So this is why it's important to understand and practice non-attachment. Right, which is another whole layer right. conversation. And, and, that's a, and it's a paradox. De- detachment isn't the same as non-attachment. Right, exactly. And it's a paradox because you would think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to... No, it makes you uh, uh, more involved in life, per se. Yeah. It doesn't make you less involved. It just makes you not attached to how you, the, the level <laughs> of involvement in which you are participating with all that is... Yeah, so really it comes down to know yourself. The more you know yourself, the easier it is to let the stuff that comes from the collective float by. Experience it for whatever reason. Like, even when I was doing healings and someone would be on the table, I would feel what they felt, but I wouldn't keep it. I just did it long enough to do the healing. We do that in life. So just remember, if you love someone who's going through, you know, it's like the sympathy pregnancy um you know i I have no relationship or can't relate to that one right but that is when men start to have the symptoms of pregnancy when their partners are actually pregnant you know in that situation you can pretty much be like oh okay i'm taking this for her (laughs) but um yeah just be aware that's all yeah i've heard this concept that in sensate terms i'm gonna bring it over into the sensate world, but sensoriumism, so to speak, is the future. And we will be so in tune with each other that our pain becomes somebody else's pain, even though we don't know them. Right. But we're so empathetic that it's going to be so painful that we will not tolerate people in poverty or complete anguish and pain and that it's going to affect us so much that we will have to do like the pain is going to cause us to become to realize our connection with our reality because really we're very selfish so once it affects us then we help (laughs) yep 
That's a good point. So there were a couple other little things during this whole... I mean, this is a big part of the episode, but I also loved when Sun is talking to the cluster and her roommate or her cellmate friend is like, what? And Sun's like, oh, I, I talk to myself when I'm nervous. But then later she's like, you just talk to your imaginary friend or something like that. Like, it's working for us, so go for it. But... That's that fine line when we're opening to the divine or to collective consciousness because where's that line between the, quote, crazy on the soapbox in the park or us, (laughs) you know? Like, when we tell as a society that seeing people is crazy and they're not or can we be okay with it when it works? Yeah, just interesting to note. Yeah, then we move to um, Wolfgang and... Felix upstairs. I think they're upstairs, or maybe I made that up, but they're at the... Oh, no, there was an elevator. I'm assuming they went up. Above they, the club. I yeah. Feel. Like, they were or, in the guy's home. Yeah, and but, they ate on the balcony. Like, yeah. they were up somewhere. <laughs> I meant, like, I thought they were above the club, but I don't know if oh. they were. But they're in his place. They meet Leela. So now we're introduced to other clusters. Man, did I geek out so hard the first time I saw this. I was so excited to have more clusters. This this episode was so exciting in that regard. Yeah. Well, the idea then of how long and how many offshoots of this storyline there could be is endless. Mm-hmm. And also to remind us that it's not outside of us. It's not these lucky eight people in the world, but that there's more. A lot more. Which, I mean, I guess we knew, but it was more, this is more horizontal. Like, okay, these are clusters that are kind of like right around our same age. They're like right happening now. Not versus like Jonas and Whispers. Because if we did know, there were other clusters, Well, we also learn in this time and a little bit later that Jonas talks about how many clusters, um, how many birth, yeah, clusters were birthed Mm -hmm. by his. Well, at this point, we don't know that at this particular moment when Wolfgang meets this other sensorium, we don't know that there's another birth mother or father. Like, it's just Angelica. That we're aware of. Right. I mean, but they've been talking in. They haven't been talking about she's the only one. They've been saying, you know, some people do this and that. Right. And we didn't know that. Realizations. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so she shows up and she's playing with that sexual energy. And I think that's really important because the sexual energy is creation energy it is a frequency that is beyond sex and romance that does merge souls as much as bodies and so it is a frequency to i mean it's being played in in the cluster but it is that you know she's across the room but they're dancing in their sexual energy with each other and getting to know each other telepathically which I think is a pretty common experience. I do tell. <laughs> Don't you, like, haven't you just met people and you know you can dance in those energies or you're, like, in a crowd and you can feel? I mean, I've talked to other people that recognize it and enjoy that. It's just an, an do energy. You mean like a, a, a sexual attraction? Well, that's the simplest form of it, and maybe people interpret it as a sexual attraction, 
But like last night in one of our classes, someone referenced just a, a communication that went down. It wasn't sexual energy necessarily, but it's this bonding, intimate like reflection of a telepathic communication that went down between two people in the middle of a team meeting. That's often triggered. I have no idea. Like, this is not about that person having any attraction, but the recognition of frequency matches. It's not a physical, I like your body, you like mine, I'm sexually attracted to you. It's an energetic attraction that most humans in their primitive form interpret as sexual. But the frequency of sexual energy goes right from the most primitive must procreate (laughs) to the creation energy of creating all the universe. So I'm just saying in that in that frequency in that spectrum is where we find those connections that we can have with people and we might show up in a room and not know and then it's like you reckon I mean she I think knew who he was maybe or she recognizes him and she starts well, she knows with it. what he was for sure right away. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to do that. Right. Right. So right. Like, so oh. it's like that. It's that that. So take away the storyline of clusters and sensoriums. Sometimes you are in a place and there's just this. Well, or let me just say I like I know when there's somebody in that room that there's going to be a dancing of energies that you can be in a completely different conversation and your energies are dancing with that person. It doesn't mean you're going to try to hook up with them. You're just aware that our energies are playing. And when two people can do that, I found they just like doing it. Like it just feels fun to do it. So Mm -hmm. they do it with each other without a, a goal. Yeah, I think the foundation of creative energy or sexual energy is attraction. It doesn't have to be physical attraction, but it is most certainly part of that experience because without the body physically, like giving us signals, like it's just, I think that's part of the sex, the, the, the sexum, nice, the spectrum. And just to go into what you're saying, Sheila, once upon a time, I came upon and read that sex is just, the, the acronym for sex is sexual energetic exchange. Cool. And so it's just this, oh, sorry, center, synergy. Synergetic energy. Exchange, right? So it's really about the energy of yeah, matter. Yeah, so that's like what I'm talking about with it. Form, yeah, yeah exactly. So um, I feel you. All right. All right. <laughs> cool. So I just thought that was an interesting. It makes for good entertainment, but it also has depth to it. Lots of depth. Yeah. So with... Also, this scene, uh-huh. women of that caliber, right? And I mean her intelligence, her station, her position. She knows how to manipulate men. It's with sex. Like, Wolfgang's not that person, right? So it's a good thing that she met him first because he's not going to be trapped in that web. Right. And so she's like, she's a super secret ninja spy of espionage and and secrecy and all this kind of stuff and this is like a normal tactic that ninja used to use in geisha and stuff like this uh, seduce men into blackmail and all this kind of good stuff so it's it's a a fault but it doesn't work with wolfgang so i was gonna go down that track but that gets way into her character 
Right. But well, right in the scene, we we do if we move to the the scene on the balcony, <laughs> the tabletop when they're eating, and she's trying to distract Wolfgang as the because they're basically using Felix as the one that's not so smart, right? So they're trying to get Felix in give him the club and get him on their side and pretend that it's just for Felix because they know Wolfgang isn't going to care about a club, but Wolfgang will care about Felix being happy. So Right, and that's one of the first things he said about those two. Yeah. About loyalty. Right. And the club. Right. So we do see this right in here because they're having a meal. The club owners basically talking about well they talk about the tribalism was of the past and the new way of being yeah the new world is basically interconnected and as he's saying this it's kind of it's cool because it's also i don't want to call him a bad guy but he's a gangster kind of thing he's not really on wolfgang's side he's looking out for his own he's into money laundering but they give him this great line but it gets drowned out because they have to fade his his lines out. Well, because she's trying to distract right. him from hearing that and just letting it go. So because they know he's going to figure it out. So she's trying to keep his attention while they talk to Felix, you know, and Wolfgang can show up with her playback because he already knows how to do this. This is what I mean. Like he was probably already doing this with other people just playing in that energy. He jumps right into that whilst keeping his attention on the conversation. So we actually understand what was said more when Wolfgang reiterates it back to show that he still understood everything, even though he was messing around with his lady while they were sitting there. And he's the one that says, you're talking about money laundering, you know, global, and it wouldn't be in your best interest to have a gang war, or whatever they call themselves. Yeah, a gang war. Like, the, the, the gang war would be bad for money laundering business. Right, basically. whatever his, you know, that war that they're talking about would happen if Wolfgang doesn't choose the right side. So so this guy's outside of that, but he's like, I'm going to get you on my side because I don't want a war over there because that wouldn't be good for the global money laundering. And Wolfgang picks up the whole thing. Well, that's the cool thing. This is totally in character, too, with Wolfgang. I mean, he's hyper-intelligent. He's a fighter, and he doesn't have... He doesn't say much, but if you think about it, what his job is, he he cracked a safe that's uncrackable because he had to listen and focus to every detail. That's true. So he spent hours and hours and hours... Like, he's attuned his attention to such a great detail that this actually, it fits his character to be able to pick up on. Because this this is a very dramatic time, but this isn't the first time where you think Wolfgang's not going to get something, but he does. Right. And it makes a lot of sense because he knows how to listen and he can listen so well. Like, listening to that was probably like nothing, right? (laughs) Right. He can like have music on while he's listening to or whatever talk while he's listening. Exactly. So he's used to this multi-dimensional attention span of listening, not including being part of the cluster. Yes, Wolfgang. (laughs) All right. Then we move on. Lido and Hernando and Danny are looking for a place because. Kind of all through this, too, we see that, you know, Leto's losing his career because of the publicity of his sexual orientation, which just really sucks at this point. 
And so they were kicked out of their home and they're looking for a new home and having to downgrade at one point. None of them are liking that. Yeah, they don't have the money. Yeah. So here we are in one of the apartments. I love it. I love it too. Yeah, I love it. It's ours. It's twice. Twice, yes. Twice. Twice. You're such an idiot. The first rule of acting, hold on to your money. But no, no. I acted as if the dream never stopped. This is my fault. No, it's my fault. I never carried my share. It's not true. It is true. You work It is true. Lito, come on. I... Two years ago, the Orozco Museum offered me the job of curator for no. three times. Three times what I made as a teacher. But, you know, know, but you're doing what no, you love. I, I wanted to teach. I wanted to shape your mind. But, but you're doing what you love. And that's important, right? And I'm doing what I love. And we we love this apartment. Some, somehow, it's got to work out. Oh, my God, oh, my God. Did you see the top? Why, oh, it's huge. You could totally all fit. I mean... I, I know we haven't talked about it. I, I mean, I, I, I don't mean it's, it's just this place is perfect. You could have the big home, and if I gave up my apartment, it would totally be affordable. But I mean, no, I just realized, I'm sorry, I'm making this huge assumption, and if you want, I'll just leave. Danny, 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 Danny. I think that the fact we could all fit in the top means it must be ours. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> My heart just bubbles when we listen to this because there's such brilliance in their relationship and um, their perspective of life and passion. I agree. Like it's, uh, I think it's very important that they're so adamant about doing what they love because that's what they are doing right now too. So they can in a way. And I think... Uh, anybody who can do that is uh, in a good place. Yeah, and it's so important for us, whether we're artists or teachers or doing what we love in whatever way, because society does tell us. So Leto's beating himself up for not saving and just living life the way they wanted to instead of saving the way society tells them to. And then Hernando starts beating himself up because he chose what he loved, even though it made less money than what was being offered to him, and so he wasn't being responsible. Even through that, they're able to support each other, right? They're able, they might beat themselves up, but they immediately reflect the correct, the belief system to the other, right? Mm -hmm. And then they hang in there with, we're doing what we love, and we love this, so it makes no sense that we wouldn't be able to get that. And that's how we need to be. Right. It's that staying with a conviction when instead of going down the old path, it's when we put one foot in both realities or both belief systems that we get messed up. Right. Yeah. You really got to commit. Yeah. So you can dip. You can dip. They dipped into the, oh, maybe I should have done it the other way. But within seconds, they commit to... No, like this has to happen. And then running out from the side comes their answer because they stayed committed. And then she's like, yeah, and here's a solution. 
And this, you know, if you guys want it, then this this works for not just you guys, but for me too. And then we just have even more love and more joy. That's excellent. It's such a big lesson, such a big reminder. So, so cool. And then they use the tub thing. See, I think that there have been subtle, it's not in our faces what the dynamic of the three is besides love. It's not all about whether or not there are threesome in the sexual energy or not, because that's a whole different storyline and it's less than the storyline of the love that's between them. But there are subtle telling us in there that they're playing in that throughout the whole thing, even just using you know, all three of us would fit in the tub. Well, if all three of us can fit in the tub, then this must be our place. Like, it's just such a fun, simple little way of being. And maybe it's an outside. Maybe it's like a hot tub. I don't know. But it's just this, like, it's just fun. And I I love, it's that symbol of, well, if it works for all three, like, if we all fit in this, then it works for all three of us. So it must be ours. That's our sign that it must be ours. And I, I think we do look for signs. People are always like, oh, give me a sign. But the people who really get guided by the signs, in quotes, are the people that accept them and look for them in playful any way they can come, you know, and choose yeah, them, choose them really too. choose to see them. So, yeah, that's yeah you have to be open to that kind of thing. Otherwise... You just won't. But the more you see them, the more you'll see them. Right. 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 And then it's it's an exponential opening of synchronistic co-creation. And it's a playful way of seeing it, too. It's not like, oh, the sky opened and am I going to interpret this sign right? It's just a playful, well, <laughs> you know, if we can all fit in the tub, then this must be our place. And they're laughing and they're like, here's a sign, but I'm not like, you know... Well, they had putting to be, tons of weight on it. I'm just playing with it. Yeah, and they had to be open to... So the form had to change, too. It wasn't just the two of them committing to this. They had to be open to a third person. Right, it's another... It just happened to be Danny, who's awesome and already fits gels with them well, but that's still... Leto's kind of expanded himself a lot in this moment for his character because before she was just hanging out, right? And she could go to her own apartment and right, do they things. Still, yeah. And so there was still that barrier there for him and Hernando and himself. And now he had to be open to all three of them actually living in the same space. So that's part of, of evolution too, is, is being open to something that you might not have had your, you any expectations of the outcome. And that would have been having the um, apartment just for him and Hernando. And that's right. it. And that's the only way it could happen. He was open to a great, a different reality to right. make that happen as well. Which is perfect. Awesome. So we don't know what the text was when they said Jonas, but we do know that a meeting gets set up. And I say a meeting gets set up, but it's really between Jonas and, and Will. And Will arrives someplace. So Jonas is told Will where to go to have this conversation with him. And, and Jonas, so Will is supposed to meet him at the train station. And yet Jonas is still at the BPO. Possibly Kroom arranged for him to have some time alone so he could do this. I don't know what that text was about. But Jonas teleports and visits him. 
to and then the cluster visits in to have a conversation at the train station, right? They ask why they're at the train station, why this place, and Jonas shares his memory. And this is the clip we have, yes? Yep. It was very different when I first came here. But then so am I, so... Maybe this version makes more sense. We forget so much more than we remember. Maybe we need to. Maybe that's what makes it bearable. What happened here? I just got off the train. Thought about getting on another. When I saw him. My father. surrounded by all his children, some 80 of us. It felt fucking biblical. I had to get that last line in there. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so, in that scene, as you're watching the show, just an interesting tidbit... If you notice over his father, there's smoke rising out of the body. Mm-hmm. And so Sheila and I can kind of thought, well, maybe that's just a representation of the soul leaving a body or the spirit. It's very interesting. And in our group class last night, it was interesting because one of our participants had seen smoke around people. And when that happens, she knows to pay attention. So I was like, oh, that's cool. It's kind of like synchronistic with getting prepared for the show and that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, smoke is a, is a symbol for some psychic or spiritual phenomenon. Very cool. Because if, lo- if you look at the rest of the show, as they're in the hospital, the clips, there's no smoke in, until the very last moment after Jonah says, and he passed away. Because like, until we really focused on it, we didn't see it as smoke. So it could have just been a subtle, subliminal message to us of the rising of the soul of energy, because how do you put energy into film? But also, they look like they were in India, maybe, and incense is often used as a in-between or, you know, to give to the gods. In the Native tradition, the Native American, or at least the Haudenosaunee who live near me, tobacco is sacred, they actually grow seeds that they've been passing down from generations. And that's sacred tobacco. And when you burn tobacco, the smoke will carry your prayers to the creator. So smoke for sure has been a medium that is meant to connect us between the worlds. And then to me, it also just sort of, if we hadn't looked at it as smoke, if it was more if I had seen it from a subliminal, more, you know, peripheral vision of it, it also could kind of look like, a, you know, this, the soul leaving the body, which was an interesting. I didn't notice it until you pointed it out. 
It was a very subtle thing. Yeah. So other interesting things in there, we find out now that a father can birth a cluster. So it's not male or female necessarily. Like it's not a matriarchal birthing mm-hmm. world. I think that's very Super interesting. Awesome. Yeah. We see a glimpse of some of the people that were in Jonas's cluster then because... Well, there would have been more than clusters, but we Angelica and Jonas were in the same cluster, and they're there. The other thing that I thought was interesting in this is, I think it's there, they talk about the sensoriums being genetically encoded in their DNA, and um, I get a little mixed feelings about that just because of the amount of tribalism that there is in our human beings in the fact that if some people are coded for it and some people aren't, then we can't all evolve to that. I don't know how I feel about that piece, but what ignited my interest is if you've listened to Cryan came to mind because he talks a lot about the DNA, but there the reference to DNA is important because most like the the portion of our DNA that we actually understand the coding of and can see represented in the way we function is tiny compared to what's actually encoded in our DNA. So I just thought that was a really cool just sort of reference to how much of our DNA encoding that we still have to unlock. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it was. One of the other things... So as they're talking, as it moves on, they talk about um, the reporter in Mexico, and we hear Lido's connection to him and the memories of that. There's some pretty interesting things. We pointed out that we find out that, you know, not all sensates are happy, and that one of the people in, in a cluster that Angelica had birth hated himself. And it was based on it, his religion, like the, the, the self-hatred that could come to us because of religious beliefs. Another just simple line and really kind of a subplot, but so important in our world because I'm not against the path to connectedness in any religion. You can find spirituality in religion, But religion is actually a structure, an organization that is basically throughout history designed to suppress us, right? And and I think there's a lot of struggle about that. So we're often reduced by the limiting belief systems of our religions and we can inflict like our natural gifts, what's like makes us so brilliant can be suppressed and we can even turn and hate ourselves for those gifts when a storyline is placed on us. Yeah, that's a big, big struggle for a lot of people, I think, (laughs) recovering from religion. There should be support groups. I think there actually are. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I I think there are. I mean, there's definitely jokes about them, but I think, yeah. I've heard of recovering Catholics. Yeah. But it really isn't a, there's no one structure, the, the organization part of it. Okay, so this is interesting. Do you say what you have to say, because I can springboard from this. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, if, if it's your place and you're, you don't have that 
internal struggle and you see through all those things and you're still having you know you found your place that's great yeah I think. so there's nothing really wrong with that it's for the people who need to recover from <laughs> right yeah there's like there's community and yeah i believe that the path to spirituality is found in any religion it's just navigating the structure that might also hold you back and finding what is the truth in it i had an amazing childhood being raised in a Lutheran community. It wouldn't match me now. I go back and I love the people and I'm reminiscent of the structure and I'm grateful for it, but it it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten here had I stayed within the structure of that. But so this still really springboards because then Jonas is talking to Will and the Sensates because the cluster's there, they're all asking questions. But Will, Jonas says, he's talking about the BPO, and he says, they are like many institutions going through an identity crisis. What I do know is there is always an us and a them, even in a tightly controlled them, like BPO. So when we talk about it with religion, like it's the same thing I just said, like, there's a us and a them even in religion, but there's still always an us. So we can find ourselves in any organization, any institution, any structure. For BPO, this is it and this is so important for us to remember in everything, right? We talk about like are we going to hate the industry, institution? We always want to fight the corporation or fight this or have the bad guy organizations fight the government. But it's so important to remember there's always an us, even in a them. So in BPO, that means that while there are people that are trying to kill the sensoriums, within the organization, there are still people that are working on behalf of them. I just think it's important to know, not just for the storyline of this, but it's important to remember that. There's always humans in every institution. Humans do run the world. (laughs) All of it. There's nobody else but humans doing all of this business. Or sensoriums. But, like, there's always right. people that... Humanoids. <laughs> the us and the thems. All right, so final clip we've got here. Do you want to set it up, Zach? Yep, we got Will going into an art museum to talk to Kroom without whispers. Rembrandt. His name is synonymous with masterpiece, and this... Arguably one of his greatest paintings, an iconic work of individuals setting aside their differences for a common good. (laughs) Yet in its day, this painting was ridiculed, called a mess, the work of an amateur. There were stories about the gents who hired Rembrandt refusing to pay because they were unhappy with their likenesses. The painting was so unappreciated that when they moved from one hall to another, They decided it was too big, so they just slashed chunks off the bottom and the side. This amputation is what we have left, and we built an entire museum around it. What changed? The painting is still the painting, but what we see is not what people saw hundreds of years ago. How we see changes. The same is true for our ears. The music of Mozart was not heard by the people of his time the way we hear it today. Why? 
because our senses, including our common sense, are evolving. And I think that is because of people like you. If PPO thinks the way you do, why all the secrecy, control? Obviously not everyone thinks like I do. What do they want that's different from what you want? How much do you know about BPO? Biologic Preservation Organization. Began in the early 60s by Ruth El Sadawi. An incredible woman. One of the great scientific minds of our time. She believes sapiens and sensorium to be obligate mutualisms, dependent on one another for survival. BPO was founded by her and dedicated to her vision of natural and ethical balance. That doesn't sound like the same organization we know from Iceland. No. So what changed? The same thing that changed for the rest of the world. 9-11. The end of the Cold War mutated into the endless war on terror. And whether we're talking about spies or terrorists, sensates by their nature, are a threat to secrecy and sovereignty. Loaded. Yep. <laughs> so one of the things I extrapolated that time from listening is maybe it's not as... Um, so Kroom basically said sensoriums were the reason for evolution. But that would mean that normal Homo sapiens would be evolving because of them. Okay. And they say obligate mutualism because... To me, also, that said, one is not better than the other. They're both necessary. It's the partnership between them that makes us a whole collective. Right. That was one person's theory <laughs> who started BPO. Um, but that would be interesting to know what, that, what the harmony of that looks like. Right. What is that relationship that actually, why, what is the, the principle that makes them need each other? And support each other, not even just need each other, but become better. I think like if we look at the United States, the idealism, or at least what some of us believe it's based on, is that the diversity actually makes us evolve, makes us more. So it is the multiculturalism. I mean, there's different theories here, right? The melting pot, we'd all become one culture, but... The idea is that also that if we can identify our, our heritage and then still be part of this other community and support each other, when we move to the globalism, that idea that there's elements that make us unique and those elements just make the collective even more beautiful when we work in harmony together. I think that is kind of the idea in there. All right. But maybe not. Maybe it's just that they... So you're thinking that... I have no idea. I really don't. Like, I don't... So we have a species who thrives on deception. And then we have a species who thrives on openness and... Right. And truth. So I don't see how they benefit each other. But she was saying, saying they were trying to work there. together. Right. I'm just saying I would like to know what that actually is. Why 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 can't some Soriums 
live without Homo sapiens. Mm, I can't. Homo sapiens live without sensoriums. I, I think that question, to me... They'd all they, kill themselves. Yeah, they'd kill themselves, basically. There would be no balance there. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> what... What is, how does a sensorium go out of balance without a homo sapien? That part, I really don't know. Because if you're connected and you're caring and you're intelligent, then you manage your resources and your people wisely. And so you don't need deception. You don't need those things because you're just going to do them. So what would be the other balance? So then what if like, because evolution is a change in the DNA code. So it's a mutation. Right. Mm-hmm. So if sensorium is a mutation, the interconnectedness of it would eventually evolve everyone towards that mutation. So we would all become, even the people that weren't encoded in it through generations would, would become encoded with intermingling. But then you have one species. There's no. Right, but the journey to we're it. We're talking would about be the dichotomy of both. But the idea here is that they were supposed to work together in harmony yeah. for peace or whatever we think, you know, like that it would actually be good. But it's the secrets. So it's not saying all humans are are living in secret, but then they're saying after 9-11, even more so, the secrets became the way of manipulating the world. It's interesting because he said that they're the threat to secrecy and sovereignty that i was like i have to li- i've listened to that yeah. a few times and i'm like hmm what is the use of sovereignty here because to me being sovereign actually means to be homo sensorium and not homo sapien in a way when you're looking at sovereignty as an individual like we have to become right. individually sovereign to become global right but if we're looking at sovereignty as a country, the separatism of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's just one of those paradoxes that you think, oh, sovereignty, you know, this is a single identity. But the, the paradox is the more sovereign you become, the more connected you become to everything. So that's why I was just like me personally in my language, in my perspective, I was like, that's interesting because I see it. I don't see that, you know, it's kind of the opposite for me. Yes. And I have so much more to say about before we even got to this end sentence. But so basically now we're learning that there's us and them. There's even us in BPO. So we can't say BPO is just the bad guys, but that it started out as good intention. And that the that with the war on terrorism, and, and I know everyone sees 9-11 as that marker point, I actually see it earlier because of being involved with a Pan Am 103 flight. Like, terrorism was here before, and those storylines were already being implemented into our collective consciousness of fear of terror and the us and the thems and the needing to fight back and go get them. So anyway, but let's stick with 9-11. This goes into, I don't know, I said this, and Zach's like, okay, Throw out that conspiracy theory. Everybody's going <laughs> to love that one. Yes. I was like, I, articles. <laughs> I heard that and I'm like, this is why since it got canceled. <laughs> so a little because too they said, close to home. Well, this whole, 
And I don't know if this is the turning point. See, we can watch it now again as we go through it again to see. This does match in with what the beginning of this scene talks about. It's loaded. It's basically calling out the conspiracy theories around 9-11. We're not even just at 9-11. We started to tell this story of terrorism that we had to fight that could change the world. And there's a ton of secrets involved. You know, being able to see truth isn't going to work for them. And earlier in the thing, they're talking about the global laundering, the global money Money laundering. laundering. So they're setting the beginning storyline that is going to not be loved by some people in power, right? (laughs) Like that in the, the real, in the physical world beyond the television. I have heard that the Wachowskis tend to tell some truths that the entertainment that those who control the entertainment industry don't like, and that again, these could be conspiracy theories, but there's a lot of money involved in the entertainment industry and that money comes with power and some people want certain stories told. The Wachowskis have always pushed the envelope and as a result, possibly, this is just one theory that I've heard out there, as a result, they don't play the game. I think we kind of do know that they don't like to play the game. And so they want to do their own thing and they don't want to compromise. And I have a ton of respect for that, but it could make it more difficult sometimes to get their work out. And who knows? I don't know. But anyway, that's a possibility. I mean, it's pushing the envelope when you start to really cut close to home, you know, and maybe... Netflix just didn't want to be involved in that. Yeah, I mean, several of their movies have, you know, pressed this particular envelope. Right, and they sometimes get bad reviews before they've even come out. Hard in this show. Yeah. Uh, There's some really great themes, and one of them is telling the truth, (laughs) and how telling the truth is a problem for people who have power right now. Because with the truth, they won't have their power right, yeah. anymore. Yeah, so you're doing a really good job right. of explaining what like, I was trying that's, to explain. That's not, this is not the first show that they've done that's talked about that. Right, exactly. Right. So, and, and that could be when they um, get into... Right, and there's other, you know, that's just, it's one thread in a tapestry of amazing that is since eight. Right, but, so when we go back to this scene, though, thinking of it this way, and, and even beyond thinking of it this way, even if we cut that out, the beginning of this scene, this is where my heart, I, they're talking about Rembrandt. I talk about this, like, I feel like sometimes when I'm trying to get the message of consciousness out that my heart wants to tell, that I sometimes feel like, do I say Rembrandt or do I say Da Vinci? Or, da Vinci. I, I feel like Da Vinci with all my paintings in the garage So the whole beginning part talks about what the Wachowskis have gone through. Regardless of politics, they're bringing a message of consciousness. Lana said it at the closing celebration that this is, you know, decades before it's time. And when you are working at that level of 
bringing in a message and committed to that, people don't understand it. Like they ripped it apart. They cut off pieces of that. They didn't like the look of it. And then it became a masterpiece, like in history years later. To me, that's what the Wachowskis create. That's what they have been creating. And that's what Sense8 is. And that's why we dedicate our time to Sense8, because we know that it may not be reaching its full potential for years from now. So to me, that is the story of their heart. That's the story of the show right there. And um, I just feel so much love for them because I see them as those masterpieces. And it's because Rembrandt is in there and they say he's looking towards the future, right? When you see past the present and when you try to paint the art or tell the story that is the future it's not necessarily heard or respected till the future so whether we want to play with their telling the truth it's the same story in two different ways this this scene is what happened in my opinion and maybe it had already been talked about maybe not but it's the story of their life right they're telling a truth and they're telling a truth that people don't want to hear. Whether the story of 9-11 is true or not, that little line that they linked it to, one tiny little storyline in the vastness of all that they're telling, this is the issue. That when you see the big picture before people evolve to be able to see it, you get your side slashed off. <laughs> but you get a museum later. Exactly. Hang in there. Hang around. Way after you're dead. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> Be a ghost. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> Get your kudos. <laughs> All right. That wraps it up this time. I want to give a big shout out to our editor of the Live Sense 8 podcast, Sarah Applegate. Thank you so much for spending your time here today listening to the show. Thank you for all your support on social media. And... If you love what we do, please support us over on patreon.com forward slash live sense eight. You can get some extra perks, bonus content, classes. We'd really appreciate it. It goes a long way so we can grow the show. And until next time, keep telling your truth.